The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich men Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? I'm Gammy, and this is Positively Gam. The topic for today's discussion on watering yourself down in white spaces, or code switching, as most people call it. I got interested in the topic based on something that you said, Dr. Alfie. I asked you what were some of the things that you wanted to get off your chest. And part of what you said was, I love myself, and I demand that people show up and respect me exactly as I show up in the world and don't ask me to change anything. And I was like, okay, okay. Now that's, that's a conversation. That's a conversation to be able to present and be yourself in any space unapologetically. So if you haven't listened to the episode on self-doubt, please check it out. But today joining me is Jared Hill, an award-winning journalist, writer, and professor. Jared is the co-host of the podcast Fanti from Maximum Fun. Jared is a returning guest as he was on the episode Two Americas with Brittany Patnick Cunningham. Hey, Jared, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back, Gammy. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. Alongside Jared, we have Travell Anderson, an award-winning journalist, editor for Toronto's Extra Magazine, and co-host of the podcast What a Day by Crooked Media and Fanti, which they co-host with Jared. Welcome, Travell. Hey, Gam. Thanks so much for having me. 
<laughs> and last but not least, we have back on Positively Gam, Dr. Alfie. Dr. Alfie is a licensed psychologist, author, and host of the video podcast, Couched in Color. Hey, Dr. Alfie, welcome back. Hello, beautiful. Thank you for having me. So I want to start with you, Dr. Alfie, because I want you to actually tell us what code switching is. Sure. So code switching is something I think most often it impacts those of us who have marginalized identities, where depending on the situation that we're in, we change up how we speak, maybe how we stand or present ourselves in order to make ourselves most often, I hate to say acceptable, but to, I think for many of us is to allow a space for us to fit in and kind of assimilate in some ways with the, the situations that we're in. So it's not always bad. Um, sometimes it's necessary, particularly if you have certain marginalized identities. I, I do think it's sort of a, not a defense mechanism, but it's a protection, a way to protect yourself. So that's what code switching is for me, just changing who you are, how you speak, how you engage, depending on the situation. And what about you guys? Travel? did you have anything to add to that description? I completely agree. I feel like it is one of the situations that I often bring up when I'm describing code switching is like for a lot of like black LGBTQ people, you know, we do what we do, you know, in the streets with our friends. But when we go to the barbershop, right, we butch it up for example, right, as a means of, you know, trying to be, feel more safe or more welcome or more accepted in a particular space. Yeah. What about you, Jared? Well, it's interesting because we, I promise this is not promotion, but like Travel and I are in the final week of writing our book, Historically Black Phrases. And so we've been talking about code switching for months, right? And so in our interviews that we've been doing with folks, we've been talking a lot about code switching. And one of the things that's become interesting to me about code switching is the ways in which we find it looking different in different places. And I was saying to Travel, we ended up doing a whole episode on code switching because it was interesting to me how when I was on the phone with my girls, right, like we talked one kind of way when we're on the phone. Hey, you know what I mean? Like it's it's very animated and excited. But if I'm here at home by myself and I'm just like on FaceTime with, you know, a, a different friend, it might be a lot more chill and it might be kind of, you know, what it is and blah, blah, blah. If I'm on the phone with my dad, it might be something else. But if I go downstairs and I go to the mailbox and I see Miss Betty, it's like, hey, girl, how's it going? It's good to see you. You look good. You know what I mean? So I, I started to recognize the ways in which Code switching isn't always just about entering a white space. Sometimes it's just about entering anything that's outside the front door, right? And sometimes it's about tone and sometimes it's about voice. Sometimes it's about vocabulary. Sometimes it's about intonation. And so now I'm starting to think of it more as like code calibration, right? And like every interaction we have, like we kind of like calibrate ourselves to either feel safe or to, to be safe or to signal safety to another person who is also Black, like, we see each other, right? Like, I see you and I want you to know that I'm here too. So it's been an interesting conversation to have. I'm glad you talked about that too, because I, I feel like that. I feel like, okay, my example would be how I present myself on Red Table Talk, right? I, I feel like um, how I present myself, how I, I feel, I definitely feel like I'm doing a lot of code switching on Red Table Talk because I'm trying to be relatable to a wide range of people. And then in my person, and even in my personal life, you know, in different spaces, I may have to change, um, 
maybe, like you were saying, um, the language that I use or my tone. But it's not just when I'm in a white space. You know, it could be when I'm in a black space. I may need to toughen up a little bit more, you know. You know, I may cuss a little bit more. I may, you know, how I carry myself, how I, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, it it, <laughs> it depends on what, what space you're in. So, like you said, code switching isn't always bad, but it does leave me sometimes feeling like um, a little inauthentic. Well, can I, can I jump in here? Yes, please do. So, Gam, I think what's interesting about what we see you do on Red Table Talk is Red Table Talk is a space that's really vulnerable, Right. It's a place where we're asking you to accept ideas that or at least hear ideas that may not be your own. Right. To open up a space to be able to make a place for what this person is giving me that I'm I don't know if I really work with that or hmm, I hadn't really I hadn't thought about it that way or. I need to sit with that for a little bit, right? And so I think that in that place when we're talking about wanting to feel safe and wanting to to figure out how we address a space, I think that on Red Table Talk, oftentimes we're asking you to like open yourself up in a way that viewers are often always able to do, right? And that viewers are often hoping that they can. And so I think that with that kind of a code switch, it's a it's a safety thing. It's like, okay, let me let me see exactly what's happening here. Let me see how much I can how much I can give. But I'm still with my daughter, with my granddaughter, and at, at home. You know what I mean? It's a different kind of space. But I think that that is probably why you feel that way, right? You feel like, eh, I'm trying to navigate this conversation and do it in front of people. I always remind people, like, like in media trainings and stuff, like there's nothing normal about like getting in front of cameras and talking to the world. Um, so there's there's the realization of some safety there. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the back of your mind, you're wanting to be accepted and not wanting to be attacked either. Okay. Jared and Travell, is code switching something you find yourself doing in your everyday life? Mm. Let's start with you, Travell. I feel like more and more, or I should say less and less, I'm code switching, right? Uh, mainly because I'm I'm no longer interested in being, you know, a partial person in this space and a different person in this space. I also say this recognizing that I have a whole lot of privilege, right? Like so much about my identities, which are marginalized, are also in many ways being exploited by various industries, right? So I can make money off of being a professional queer or trans person in that particular way. Um, but I do recognize that for a lot of folks, they don't have that ability, right? And I remember when I used to work at the Los Angeles Times in particular, a decade ago, I would go into that space a very different way because I felt like there was a particular way that I had to like present as a journalist and then as a Black journalist in that white newsroom, right? Because I, I want them to make, I, I want them to know that I'm, you know, worthy of being here. I want them to know that I'm just as professional as they are, that my HBCU education is just as good as their, you know, Ivy League education or whatever the case may be. But what that does to us, right, is it, I think it forces us to just like contort ourselves in different ways to try to be palatable ultimately to white people's sensibilities about 
you know, what is right or wrong or professional or unprofessional when like, you know, why can't the round the way girls on the block also be professional? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that, a question that, that I'm always working through. Yeah, that that's what I feel mostly, too, that 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 trying to be palatable to the white community that is is so challenging and feels so false and feels. I mean, I, I actually kind of get pissed off about it, you know. I, you know, it's it's irritating to me. It's irritating to me sometimes. Dr. Alfie, what, what what are your feelings about all of that? The same as yours, which is why I said what I said on the um the last time I was on. I, mean, I said what I said. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, <laughs> because it's tired. It's exhausting. I first it's learned exhausting. about posting. It is exhausting. And I first learned about code switching as an undergrad at Howard. I had this professor. Her name was Dr. Cowherd. C-O-W-H-G-R-D. That's how I, I just remember her. And she talked to us about that. And I grew up in a predominantly white environment in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And that was my life. So being a high achieving black kid, we were always the only, it was like six of us who were always the only black kids in the classes. Right. And so I'm good at, oh my God, like, really? Like, is, are, are you serious? Like, I can't, I can't. Oh my God. And so, but that was a way to not, that was a way to not have to deal with the drama that I had to deal with, like the stupid questions. Like, can I touch your hair? Can you, now I'm Gen X, so I'm gonna date myself. Do you know all the words to rock the bells? Like, I didn't want to talk about that all the time. And so if I did the other stuff, like, oh my God, I love you too. I love surfing. Yes. Oh my God. Then, you know, people would leave me alone. And I think it started <laughs> over time. It, it's exhausting. And so I would get home at night and I just felt like I would just take all of that off and put it to the side. So I'm like Travell. Well, I got to a certain point in my career where I was like, y'all can catch this smoke because I, I ain't got time that I can't be bothered. Right. And so I would get in, in staff meetings and people would say, so I'd be like, child, please. You know what I mean? And they would be like, touch the pearls because they were like, child, please. What is that? Oh, exactly. Oh, my Alfie. Like, that's very ethnic. Oh, wow. But you just get, you get tired. And so I'm, I agree with you. And I think for me, the real answer is when you get to a place like Travel said, where you feel that you have enough privilege, that you don't have to fit into anybody else's box. And so me having a nonprofit, I ain't got to fit in y'all box no more. So I can do what I want to do. So, yeah, it's exhausting. That's what I'll say. What about you, Jared? Um, I hate to get all deep on you, but I feel like lately, <laughs> I feel like lately I've been thinking about this a lot. As I said, we're writing the book, but also I've just been kind of on my own, like, spiritual journey over the last uh, couple of years. I don't know if y'all heard about this quarantine thing that happened, but it certainly slowed me down um, and made me think about things. And I started to to really realize, and I don't know that I've articulated this out loud, but I started to realize that my life has become my job, right? And my personality and what I think and what I believe and what I see has become a part of my work every day, right? My personality is what pays the bills. Um, and so I, I can't continue to like shrink myself down when I go into places if my job is to show up. Right. And so as I'm as I'm working as a professor right at USC, when I'm talking to my students, it's been incredibly important for me to always make sure that they know how what this journey looked like. Right. Um, and in our final class, they reflected back to me like I one of the things that they got from our class that was about media uh, reporting journalism uh, for for pop culture and entertainment 
one of the things that I always wanted to make sure that they got was that everybody's journey is their own. And like your story is your, your path is your story. And that's like the power that you have. And so I find myself trying to code switch less and less and less when I go into exceedingly white spaces or, or, you know, high power spaces or when I'm in conversation with my therapist or when I'm hanging out with my friends or whatever it is, I'm trying not to like dumb down parts of myself, turn down parts of myself, but to show up as much as I can, because I find that when I show up as myself, that is when I have the most power. Wow, that that is really interesting. And it's really inspiring to hear because I'm not sure that I feel that way. But I have my own I have my own issues with self-doubt and not the most com- confident person. So it's actually really good to hear you say that. Because, Dr. Alfie, what triggers in our brain to to code switch? Safety. I really think it's about safety, right? So when, going back to what everyone has said, I really love that Jared specifically has talked about code switching is not just what happens when black we as Black people are in white spaces. We code switch when we talk to our grandparents. Think about that. I happen to be married to a person whose father is a preacher. Now, I know how I like to dress, especially like 20 years ago. I ain't never had no clothes on, right? But I wouldn't do that. Child, please. And if I could still get away with it, and then sometimes I do. But it was when I would go to their house, right, the code switch was I wouldn't wear the stuff that I would wear every day because I felt like it wouldn't be respectful for their values and mores. So I really do think what triggers in our brain a couple things. One is safety, but two is you're remembering times when you've been chastised, belittled, or something negative has happened in response to you showing up in a certain way. Think about little kids, right? The first time the little kid, think about people we knew growing up with. The, my family's from the deep south. I'm not, but my family is. The first time a kid come out their mouth the wrong way to the parent, some kid, you get popped in the mouth. So the next time, you're not going to open your mouth and say anything sideways. Or I can remember, with, you know, being with friends and parents would be like, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Fix your face. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I think it's, those are just examples from within our community. But I think when you're in other situations, just like Travel was saying, think about what it means to be a visibly open out person of the LGBTQ community and go into spaces where you're not sure where people are. Right. How they feel. Your literal safety depends on you scoping that out before you reveal who you are, because that literally could mean life or death. So I think that's what it is. You know, past past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. So if people are not treating you right, then I think the next time you think about them. Go ahead, Jared. I would say, Gam, as as I think about you specifically, um, I. I found earlier today, uh, I, I'd forgotten this, but on my wall up here, I just I just redesigned my office. So on my wall up here, this photo is of you and I and Jada when we met, when you guys launched Red Table Talk. And it was, I did an interview with you all for Essence because you guys were doing the big launch event and uh, we all got to sit down with y'all for like five or 10 minutes. And uh, it was special to me because I felt like, I know Jada Pinkett Smith and like I just saw this show and I'm I'm meeting this new woman named Adrian who's like brand new to me and like I I didn't know her story before, right? And I was immediately calling you Gam and like all of this stuff and I I felt like there was a connection but then I sat down with you all and it was so surprising to me because y'all felt so like 
like family immediately, right? You were just open and um, kind and welcoming. And I, I, I could show you the photo up close, but like, it is like us like in a good cackle, right? And it felt so welcome, right? But I think that what we've seen from you and Red Table Talk in general is like how much you're willing to open up yourselves, right? And like, I think that there are moments when you are probably trying to code switch to not feel whatever that negative thing is that you're telling yourself. But like, all of those things are the things that we love about you, right? Like, you've, you've talked about one of the things in the interview that we did, you talked about how you had been married multiple times and how that was kind of challenging for you, right? And the ways that that showed up in your next marriage. But it's like, yeah, but my daddy's been married three times. And my parents, my mom and dad have been married. My mom and stepdad have been married twice. And I've been in and out of a lot of relationships that never showed up to a marriage, right? And so, like, to hear your story, I'm like, well, Gana's doing the damn thing. So, like, let's keep it going, right? And, like, it's a thing that makes you feel weak or insecure or something that you want to run away from. But it's something that I want to lean into and be like, you know what? She kept going and kept trying. And like, I want to do that too. And as I'm a single person that's 37 years old, I'm like, you know what? Gam, Gam is doing it. So damn it, why don't I keep trying? Like, and, and like, that is something that I want to lean into because I see how you do it. And so as you are being honest and real and genuine about who you are and what you want and what you're doing and what you believe and how you feel, like it encourages us all. And then I go to my show Right. And we get letters all the time from people who are saying like, oh, I send my, my your show to my students or I send my your show to um, to be a part of my dissertation or I play it for my clients or whatever. And so all of that has this really beautiful ripple effect when we show up as who we are. What do you think if there are any negative effects that code switching can have, though? Yes. What do you think, Dr. Alfrey? I think that sometimes we struggle with who am I if I'm a different person in all these different spaces? Who's me? Right. And I think there's also a part of it where it's am I valuing not just who am I, but am I valuing all of who I am if I'm showing up as a different version of me in all these spaces? And I think for me personally, one of the things that I have struggled with in the past is who am I not representing effectively if I show up and I'm something other than, you know, a proud African-American woman. Do you know what I mean? In these spaces, a proud Gen X Black woman. Yeah, for me, sometimes it just feels like I'm being phony. Yes. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, it feels like that. So I think those are the, some of the conversations that we have internally when we coach, which and think about, now I'm telling, I, like I was doing my little Valley Girl thing before, but I can remember how difficult it was to, I would show up in spaces and think that's what I was supposed to do. And then I would get beat down for it. So my freshman year at Howard, child, I want no joke. They like, they snatched me up hard. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, girl, this ain't no, like they would say the name of the white radio station. We don't listen to you two up in here. You better get your mind right. You know, and so that was a struggle. So it's sort of, there's a piece of it where it was, okay, where can I be all of who I am all in one place at one time? And I think to Jared's point and Travel's point, over time, what I learned is I have to take ownership of that. But that was my journey. Like, I have to be in control of that. And I still struggle with it. But for me, those are some of the struggles that I think people have when they code switch. I feel like for Black people, I just feel like we're, we're doing it all the time. We're doing it all the time. It Like, it's always been us trying to assimilate into this white world. But can you imagine... 
if a white person came into a black space and tried to, like, talk like how we do in our lingo and all of that, like, it would be insulting. We'd be like, stop. We don't even have to imagine. Exactly. Chet Hanks. Chet <laughs> like, Hanks. Don't, don't you do it. Chet don't Hanks. Don't you do it. <laughs> Chet Hanks. The whole time I was like, Chet Hanks, Lord have mercy. <laughs> First of all, first of all, like you know, you know immediately when it's happening, right? When the person comes in and they're speaking language that is not theirs, right? When they're when they're affecting a dialect that does not belong to them, right? Or something that they have, yeah. One of our linguists, uh, one of the linguists that we've been interviewing for the book has been talking about how there's a difference between seeing something and learning it, right? And like you can see something, but like you didn't learn that; you just saw it on TikTok. Right. Like, you know, it, and you feel it. You feel it is different. And like, I think when you say like, what are the, the negative sides of like of code switching? Um, a friend of mine would just shared this with me in the last week. And he was saying how he was talking with his pastor about um, his sexuality and how challenging it was for him um, as a bisexual person to like be able to embrace his his um, his truth, but also to like share that with his family. And his pastor said to him, if you don't tell your family if you don't come out, you're never going to fully believe that they really love who you are, right? And I thought that that was so powerful. It like it rocked me because I thought to myself, like, if we are not fully honest about who we are and show up in these places without like having to to play a role or code switch or be something else, like it's really hard to to receive the positive feedback if we don't feel like we're being genuine. Because I feel like you're giving me feedback to like this character that I put on as opposed to who I am. Um, and I think that that's been something really important for me. I agree with you, Jared. And I think there's a fear that when I reveal all of who I am to you, you're going to reject it. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that sometimes holds people back from because it's beautiful when people receive us. It's real. It's hard as hell when they don't, especially people we love or people we have affection for. So I think when we do that, we're so vulnerable so I, you know, I just, I would just add that one tiny little piece. Absolutely. Travell, I see you shaking your head. What what do you want to say? I'm nodding throughout all of this. Well, first on the, on the aspect of like, you know, white people who have their black sense. And it also gets me thinking about, you know, the, the black people who, who don't come from a particular type of black experience, but also want to, you know, yo, yo, yo it up. Right. And it makes me think to what you said earlier, Gam, about that authenticity. And I think what it is, is that like those of us who come from certain types of communities, right, where we talk a particular type of way, you can hear it and you can feel the authenticity. Right. You can feel when someone has lived you know, a yo, yo, yo type of experience, right? And you can feel when somebody just learned it, like Jared said, on TikTok. Because we know, we all know of those white folks, right, that did grow up, you know, in the hood, right, who have that little particular swagger that we find acceptable, right, and that we, that we you know, put our hands around. We know those folks, and we provide space for those folks. It's the folks who don't know the culture, who don't know the community, the struggle, the experience, who we're all side-eyeing in a particular way. And it goes back to this, this point about authenticity. It's about the culture. It's about what you have lived and experienced, not just what you, you know, have seen on TV. Right. 
And, you know, we've been kind of focusing really on the black and the white community, but there's all cultures in in here in the United States. So I'm wondering how it might feel for other cultures. I don't know because I'm I'm not that, you know? I think that when we think about code switching and, like, dumbing ourselves down, as a, any person that's a part of a marginalized community is code switching somewhere. Right. And I would dare say when we did our episode of code switching, um, we got emails from white folks that were like, oh, well, I code switch when I go from this place to that place. And I was like, I don't know if that's the same. I was like, hold on straight, white man. I don't know if that's what we talking about. Right. But but I do recognize that there is a bit of a way that we turn something on when we get home to our family as opposed to something on when we're at work versus something on when we're on the road and they cut us off and we have a couple of choice words about who your mama Word. might be, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so we engage all of those things in different ways. And so I was like, okay, white people, you might be code switching, but it's not the same, right? It is it is similar, but it's not exactly the same. It's not necessarily for the same safety. That's right. I know it sounds cliche. All of our lives would be if we just had the opportunity to be with people in the fullness and unapologeticness, to coin a phrase, of who they are. Like, how beautiful would that be? To just enjoy people exactly as they are in the most authentic versions of themselves. It, I just feel like it would just be heavenly. Oh, absolutely. But we got such a long way to go to get to that. Sadly, sadly enough, that, but that's just the, the truth of the matter. But Jared and, and uh, Travell, you guys have mentioned this book that you're working on several times. So Travell, let's start with you. I want you to tell us what this book is about because you guys, once it's out, you guys are going to come back and we're going to talk about it. But I'm very excited. So tell everybody what this book is all about. Yeah, so the name of the book is Historically Black Phrases. It's basically going to be this coffee table-sized homage to the special way that you, that unique razzle-dazzle that we as Black folks put on the English language. And so we've come up with these phrases that we think are historically Black. Everything from, I ain't one of your little friends, to do you have McDonald's money, to boo-boo the fool, okay? <laughs> and we... <laughs> And so we are putting we're putting definitions to these phrases. We're pulling pop culture moments about these phrases. And we're interviewing a variety of different folks about how black language has shown up in their own unique experiences, because ultimately our goal is really to pay homage to how we as black folks speak um, because it, it's unique, it's special, and it deserves kind of that type of treatment. Jared, did you want to add anything? Um, I, first of all, really glad to have Travel as a co-writer and co-publicist on this um, because they can sum it up very, very well. Um, this started out as like a joke that I was doing on Facebook, like doing uh, like posts about what it meant to, you know, to say trouble don't last always or, you know, what I... I guess I can say fuck boy, but like what a fuck boy is, right? And and why we use that language and where it comes from and, and what he probably is acting like, right? And so I, it started off as that. And then people were saying back to me like, um, well, when are you putting this in a book? And I was like, 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm working on that right now. And so over the course of six years, it has become uh, this book that is now going to be available next fall and uh, is due in a couple of days. So, <laughs> you know, pray for us. But, but we're excited about it. Uh, and I'm excited to get a copy. Put me first on the list. I think it's going to be awesome. So is there anything else in this conversation about code switching? Is there, I want to give each of you an opportunity to like give your last comments on it before we wrap up. Um, oh, the, the one thing I always tell myself and I want people to remember, sometimes showing up just as who you are is an act of resistance. That's it. Uh, now, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. You being Gam, think about it. When Gam is at the table, I remember one episode, you, you said something like, I don't remember what the topic was, but you were like, you know, my generation, we didn't talk about stuff like that. That's real. And you gave permission for a lot of other people who are of your generation to say, she right, we don't, we don't get down like that. Do you know what I'm saying? And so just like Travell and Jared talking about the book, the two things came to mind for me. Let's red table it. All the, all the black folk, we know what that means. We say, let's red table it, right? And, um, you know, just what they're doing. Or when you were talking about, uh, I think it was Travell, white folks who, you know, if you grew up in that environment, the first thing that came to my head was Tina Marie, right? I was like, Tina Marie will have an eternal invite to the cookout. And when you're black and you say invite to the cookout, everybody know what that means. So, yeah, so I, the authenticity of it, I, that's, and so you just being you, Gam, Jared just being Jared, Travell just being Travell. There's so many times when we've been pushed and required and asked and cajoled into not being who we are. Sometimes just use, even if it's just for a moment, showing up in the fullness who, of who you are, that in and of itself is an act of resistance because you're taking your control back. Wow. I needed to hear that. Travell, you next. I, I love that. I was going to say something very similar about the, the utility of bringing your full self into spaces where you feel like that full self is not welcome. Um, because what it does, and, you know, I want to be clear, it's not always easy. You know, I think many of us who have these conversations about code switching, like, still work through the anxiety that I know for me, as a Black queer trans person, when I'm going into a variety of spaces where I am the only Black queer trans person, when I make the decision to show up with a lip on and my nails done and in some heels, like, there's a lot of anxiety that goes into presenting this image of confidence to the world. Um, because, to Dr. Alfie's point, I know that me being in these spaces as I am will necessarily change the, the makeup of that space. And hopefully somebody else who's in that room who has been feeling like they had to put on a mask to be there, they will take their mask off, right? And they will allow someone else to come behind them who also can take their mask off. And I think that's how we shift a culture. That's how we get to a space where we can be our authentic selves at all times, right? And not have to make these, these trade-offs or these calibrations for safety or to keep our job or to, you know, stay in good graces with various folks. I wanted to 
to say, lastly, that I think we, we touched on privilege um, really briefly, but I do think that one of the things that we are all fortunate as people whose um, personalities and careers are really informing what we do right now and, and allowing us to show up um, as our full selves with our personalities, I want to also acknowledge that everybody does not get to do that at work, right? And <clears throat> recognizing that um, the places that you don't have to code switch are probably the places where you have the most privilege and probably the places that you feel the most powerful and authentic, right? The places that you're able to just show up and like, you know, sit back in the seat and just be who you are and wear what you wore, right? Your hair looks how your hair looks. Your makeup is done or not. Your voice sounds the way that it does or does not. You use that word as opposed to that word, right? Those are probably the places where you feel like you have the most power, the most the most ability to like be the, be your own self. And so um, I want to acknowledge that everybody doesn't get to do that at work, but you might get to do that a little bit more at church, or you might get to do that a little bit more with your friends, or you might get to do that a little bit more where you volunteer, or you might get to do that a little bit more over here, or over there. And, and think about like how your privilege is showing up and how you get to do that and how you get to, to, to be who you are uh, and embrace it in the places that you can. Because, like I said, everybody doesn't get to do it everywhere. Yeah, important. I guess we got to wrap up because we could go on, could we not? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Now we're going to do the segment, Wouldn't You Like to Know? And we're going to start with you, Jared. Jared, what book are you currently reading? I'm reading Balance, Positioning Yourself to Do All Things Well by Tori Roberts, uh, who also happens to be my pastor. And so I'm I'm currently in that book right now and, and really enjoying the ways that it's kind of opening me up and making me think differently. And what about you, Travel? I just finished reading Shine Bright, a very personal history of Black women in pop, written by a fabulous music journalist, Danielle Smith. It's part biography of Black women in pop music, part memoir of, of Danielle's story. She was the first Black um, editor of Vibe magazine, first Black woman editor of Billboard magazine. And so it's just really, really good. And if you can listen to the audiobook, do that because she reads it herself. And it's so wonderful. I know. I love audiobooks. What about you, Dr. Alfie? There's two at the same time. I'm audiobooking The Godfather. And then I'm always reading this book called, it's a very tiny short book, um, I Want to See You Shining. There's a super producer. His name is Mark Batson. He and I co-wrote it. And it's just, it's very uplifting. And it was done during the pandemic to help people through difficult times. And it goes with the album that he made. Literally of uplifting song. My favorite song is um, You Are Elegant and it's all positive affirmations. And so I'm reading, always reading that one and listening to The Godfather. Oh, that's that's awesome. Okay, moving on. What's one thing you want to get off your chest, Jarrett? The thing I'm, I'm really upset about this week, like that I really want to get off of my chest and this might feel small and don't judge me, Gam, but I'm mad at like subscription services that don't let me cancel their subscription within the app. And I know that's very specific, but yes, I'm talking to you. You can bleep this out if you need to, Orange Theory, but like I just want to pause for a few months Okay, I just need a couple of months to like do my own thing. But you want to charge me more money. You want me to sign the paperwork. You want me to come in. You want me to give blood just to pause. It's irritating me right. and I'm, I'm feeling a way about it. That's all. 
I'm going to chill. I don't blame you. I would be irritated as well. <laughs> what about you, Dr. Alfie? Um, oh, God. I have two, but I'll pick one. The one I want to pick is I want to get off my chest that we should hold space for all the black people who over the weekend still showed up, including us today, showed up and did what they had to do in the aftermath of the terrorist attack in Buffalo. We're mourning. It's vicarious trauma, but we're still showing up to work. And the fact that nobody, there are not too many people who understand that and are still asking us for stuff. That's what I want to get off my chest. People need to chill for a minute. Just give us a minute. Oh, well, I feel like this is going to be a very stark left turn um, from the serious nature of Dr. Alfie's point. That's okay. That was such a good point, though, Dr. Alfie, because, yeah, that people just don't get it. Either they don't get it or they don't care. Right. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. So don't don't worry, Travel. We, you know. Yeah, follow that, Travel. Follow that. I, <laughs> I just want to give the listener a little a little disclaimer that I'm taking a left. And the thing that I want to get off my chest, which is something I'm always complaining about, is, you know, I, I, I feel like I coined this term a few years ago, BFB. It stands for Big Footed B-I-T-C-H's. These are people such as myself who have big feet, but can't like struggle to find high heels in our size in store, okay? And so I just, I wanna tell all of the shoemaking people out there that I need them to carry bigger sizes in the store, okay? Somebody else was just talking about this. I don't know who it was, but I was just talking to somebody and they were complaining about the same thing. You are hilarious. I don't even mess with the store. Don't even mess with the store. You got to order them joints. You can't. Them Jones. You can't do it. You got to order them Jones. I'm telling you. I, as a, as a big footed boy, if I can keep the B, I will say that like trying to find a size 14 shoe, it is depressing. It is upsetting. It is, I'm going to start calling it racist and discriminatory or whatever else I had to call it for people to start making bigger damn shoes. Jared, you wear a size 14? A 14, I'm six foot three and I wear a 14 size shoe and finding it is not easy. I understand your plight. I haven't looked for a heel, but you know, I mean, listen. Once you get past a 10, forget it. Past a 10, forget it. It's crazy. (laughs) All right. What's a motto that you live by, Travel? Um, A motto that I live by, I sign all of my emails the same way, and that's slay on with an exclamation point. I just always want myself and everyone that I come in contact with to slay on. Slay the day, slay the night, slay whatever you got to slay, but just slay on. (laughs) And what about you, Jared? I lately have been saying to myself, bring all of yourself, but don't make it about you. Um, and that's something that I've been trying to to do more. And I, I mean, we've been talking about that in this conversation is like, I want to like bring more of myself to the spaces where I'm asked to come and provide thought or feedback or insight or experience or wisdom or whatever. Uh, I want to bring all of myself to those spaces, but I don't want to make it about me. Yeah, I like that. I like that. What about you, Dr. Alfie? Uh, this is easy, but je parle et comprends un peu le français. I speak terrible, teeny bit, teeny tiny little bit of French. And so I have this one phrase, I know phrases. One phrase I always say is, je suis pas, um, I am peace. And I'm probably saying that wrong too, but I am peace. And I'll always remind myself because peace is, peace is paramount for me. That's the most important thing in my life, I feel like, is peace first. 
and we ended on a positive note. So I like that, too, because the topic was heavy. Where can we find you all on social media? Starting with you, Jarrett. You can find me everywhere at Jarrett Hill. Jarrett, two R's and two T's, um, because my parents wanted to be a little bit different. And you can find our podcast. <laughs> Look, I can't ever find my name on a keychain at a, at a theme park, and I've talked to my therapist about it for years. Um, but I, uh, also would encourage you to go check out our podcast, Fanti, where we talk about the things that we are fans of, but also have some anti-feelings about. It's a, pan- a portmanteau of those two words, fan and anti. You can find us everywhere at Fanti Podcast, everywhere, Fanti Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I am on Twitter at Travel Anderson, T-R-E-V-E-L-L, Anderson, and on Instagram at Rayjean, R-A-Y-Z-H-O-N. And Dr. Alfie? So my podcast is Couched in Color, um, all one word. And we're on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. But you connect to that through my website, which is Dr. Alfie, D-R-A-L-F-I-E-E. F in the middle is the F is in Frank. Um, and at Dr. Alfie, like on every platform except Snapchat, because I still ain't figured it out. <laughs> I feel you on that for sure. Thank you, Jared and Travell and Dr. Alfie for stopping by Positively Gam. I love speaking with you guys today. Thank you so much. And that's our show. You can follow me online at Gammy Norris. Also, help us out by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and by hitting the follow button on iHeartRadio. Stay grateful, y'all. Positively Gam is produced by Red Table Talk Podcast and iHeartRadio. Executive producers are Adrian Banfield Norris, Fallon Jethro, and Jada Pinkett Smith. Our audio engineer is Calvin Bailiff. And our associate producer is Irene Bischoffberger. Our theme song is produced by D Beats. <laughs> <laughs> 